eat, drink, smoke, where we eat the fine food, drink the fine bourbon, smoke the fine cigars, the Russells, people. Grab your bourbon, sit down, and have yourself a sip. The Russells Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. This comes from the Wild Turkey people. It's got a mash bill of 75% corn, 13% rye, and 12% barley. And it's 55% alcohol by volume. That is 110 proof, people. Anything that over 100 proof gets some applause from at least one of us. I'm Tony Katz. That's Fingers Malloy. He's the high proof guy around here. Uh, Russell's has continually, in my view, done good work. A flavor profile that works for me incredibly, incredibly well. Uh, the eye on this, if you're talking about just how it looks, uh, it's got just a lovely, I think, a standard bourbon amber kind of color. That standard uh, golden honeyish kind of look to it. We hit the nose. Are you already drinking, Fingers? Do you not this is wait? My, this is my third one. No, I was just savage. Just smelling it. That is a nose that is sweet. That's a nose of banana right there. Almost a... a a very sugary dessert, like a, a lot of uh, like a lot of what's what's the was the buttermilk frosting or the buttercream frosting? Yeah, the buttercream Almost, frosting uh, on top of it right there, and a little bit of citrus, just a hint, lovely nose of citrus. I'm getting a little bit of coconut too. Reserve. I think the banana's playing with you. I think that's I true. No, seriously, if you are blindfolded, are you really going to be able to do well the difference between banana? And coconut. And that's the weird thing. Your nose different than my nose, different than uh, the nose and, and the palate of other, of other people. Who knows what you're going to feel? Now, we do it neat here when we do anything that we drink. And, of course, a bourbon has to be uh, 51% corn. It has to come in a, utilized, I should say. It's aged, utilized, aged in American charred oak barrels. First use. That's how it has to go. It can only be water added to it to change the proof. Nothing else. Flavor, of course, comes from the wood. That's what's happening there. How long has this been aged? Ten years, give or take. That's how long it is spent in the barrel. The nose is beautiful. Are you ready, Fingers Malone? I'm ready. Are you ready to do a sip? We do I'm it ready. And then we decide if we bring it to a cube, let us go. This is the Russell's Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Where are you, Fingers Malloy? Mmm. Okay. First of all, little sting on the tongue. Right. Uh, does not go to the back of the tongue and down the esophagus, and at least in my experience. Vanilla. Um, maybe a, ta- a touch of honey. If you're talking about just a generalized sweet, because yeah. the vanilla is definitely there. It's also got a good thickness to it. Of, um, I don't know if you want to call it a viscosity. I don't know. What would the experts call it? Would they call it a viscosity? Uh, it's, look, it is, it is a fine, fine flavor, right? Um, I think this hits stronger than some of the other things we've done. Now, I got to give everybody a warning. We're broadcasting outside. We're, we're in Indianapolis. The day is gorgeous for an August day. There's no humidity. So we came outside with it just like you would. And in the Blend parking lot, there is a Ferrari nicer than Fingers Malloy's house. And now oh, you're here. Okay. I don't know if you heard it. I didn't know how loud the guy was going to go with, with turning it on. I was like, before we scare the hell out of people. <laughs> That's viscosity. <laughs> with no thermal <laughs> breakdown. Um, this is a very, very... Nice uh, bourbon. I got to tell you that when I'm looking for something in a bourbon, 
Uh, I, I like the, the, the lighter, more pronounced notes. This brings in just a little heavier. Uh, the, burn, the tip of the tongue was a sting, but it's a, it's, a, it's a burn in the center and lower chest. Nothing hurt going down on the Russell's Reserve. Uh, and I, actually, I, I do like Russell's. There are some Russell's that I, that I really enjoy. This is a heavier one. For sure. So if you like that kind of heavier, deeper kind of, of, of bourbon with more notes of the dark fruit, uh, this is for you. There's a little more spice in this as well. I will tell you, the nose and, and the palate are two very, very different things. The nose hits with that banana, and there's no feel of that in terms of those sweets uh, on, on the high end coming, coming through when, when you drink it. You get some, some darker feels. Definitely get some some pepper. You do get a bit of that vanilla. You do get a bit of that honey. That much is for sure. So this is a, a bourbon where the nose doesn't match. The nose does not match the flavor. It's not that it's a bad flavor profile. You just got to like that deeper kind of dark fruits kind of feel. No, I, I agree with you because you were talking about how on the nose it's banana. I got more of a, a, a coconut. When you taste it, I got honey. I, I got vanilla. Um, nothing banana or coconut like i i had read some reviews on this where they talked about how it, you may get uh, a snickerdoodle flavor to it and i'm not getting that at all but i'll be honest with you i don't i've used sugar cookie before right to describe uh bourbon uh, i i don't think my mm. palate is sophisticated enough to go between uh snickerdoodle and sugar cookie no i don't have that skill set either <laughs> but i would i don't get either one of that uh, f- from here, there there is a sweetness. I'm not going to say no, but I don't know if I, I call it that cookie kind of sweetness. Because to me, that sweetness is a bit brighter. Maybe to me, it's not as as heavy. Now, I did move it to the cube. We have a big rock side. You can use just some water. You can use some chips. There really is no wrong answer. And one of the worst things that I'm starting to find from people questions we're starting to get asked here at Eat Drink Smoke whether they're they're finding the the podcast and then finding us on at Apple Podcasts or they're they're finding us on Twitter. Go Eat Drink Smoke is this idea of what's acceptable and what's not. And how in the world would either one of us be able to tell you or anybody else tell you what's acceptable? You might like a few drops of cool water in there just to open it up. You might be the kind of person who actually takes a, what do you, what do you call that? The little, an the, eye the, drop. An eye dropper. Boom, bop, bip, and put it in there. Uh, I actually prefer chips because I like it to melt just to get a little bit of water in there and a little bit of chill in there. I don't want it to get watery because I don't drink quickly. I'm a very, very slow sipper, whether I'm pairing it with a cigar or I'm just on the back deck. Very slow and very deliberate in how I go uh, about it. So I'm not trying to do that. But we did move it here to, to the cube. Now, the question is, is it in your liquor cabinet? Well, only you can answer that question. The price point on this is $65. Now... I can see people doing it. I could see people saying, this is my kind of special bourbon. This is it, it, that, the richness, the, the, the full flavor, how that nose makes me feel. And certainly after being on the cube, trying it in that way, you know, I might get a different feel for it and see how it goes, which is very true. It's different neat than it is on the cube. It opens up. The water does activate it in that way. And certainly how I have it now, just as that cube's starting to melt versus how it's going to be 30 minutes from now, are also going to be very different taste profiles, that more diluted profile. $65 a bottle isn't awful. But I think that you got to ask yourself, is this my profile? If this is your profile, I can see it. 
because it's not that the flavors are problematic. There is a, the, the, it's, it's, the, the richness is wonderful. There is a, a fair amount of balance in there. And for me, the nose is just, just terrific. I love that banana. Yeah, to, like to me, I mean, $65, $66 a bottle is splurging. Um, I normally don't like to spend any more than $50, but uh, I would splurge on this. I, I think it's worth it. I, I do like the flavor profile um, for a special occasion for me. I would definitely buy a bottle of this and, and have it in my liquor cabinet. It's the Russell's Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey at 110 proof, and this is Eat, Drink, Smoke. So my airline problem story is different, Fingers, than your airline problem story. But I don't think they're holding as much of your money as they are of my money. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Tony Katz of Fingers Malloy. So great to be with you. Uh, Yeah, so I was supposed to be, you know, coronavirus ruins everything, right? Coronavirus ruins absolutely uh, everything. So uh, I was supposed to be this summer, back in June, in Israel with the family. Wow. Right? Kids turning 13. It's the, it's the bar and bat mitzvah age, right? Your, your, your children become adults, and then you can finally charge them rent and, and do the whole thing. <laughs> right. And we're supposed to go. And then, of course, coronavirus, you know, Israel, like a lot of other places, we don't let people in from this, from that. We've got quarantines. We've got lockdowns. You have to self-quarantine. So it, it, you, you couldn't go, and then the flight got canceled. This was before I had a credit card. Now, I tell the dumbest story in the world because you should learn from my mistake. And my mistake is, is that when my wife and I went broke, we lost everything in the downturn. You know, when the bailouts came, 08, 09, I lost everything, everything we owned. So we made a deal that, okay, we're going to battle back from this. And we did, you know, three radio shows later, we, we've battled <laughs> back from it. 10 years and three radio shows later. Um, overnight. But, yeah, overnight <laughs> success. That's how it worked. But with no credit cards. If we don't have cash, we don't pay for it. Because we were still in this very old style of thinking that somehow you have a credit card and then you let it accumulate. As opposed to utilizing the credit card for what it's for, getting the points, doing all the things, getting the protections, and then just paying it off at the end of every month because you're not going to overspend it anyway. Right. So we came to that late for whatever reason. We were still in an old style of thinking and, and, and what have you. So finally, we're like, we have to get a credit card. We get it after I bought these tickets. So I bought these tickets with the check card, right? $5,000 worth of tickets. The airline cancels the flight. Or two months later, I still can't get a refund. I can't get someone on the phone. And I know they must be getting a billion phone calls. I don't want to be angry, but I am. <laughs> and I'm, and, and I, am, I am done being polite about the thing. Now, my reason for cancellation makes sense at least. Your cancellation does, does not because it was a domestic flight. It was a domestic flight. I'm flying to Austin in September, and this airline has already changed my itinerary three times. I'll get an email in the middle of the night. You know, oh, right. by the way, you thought you were taking off at 11 a.m. You're, you're taking off at 6 a.m. instead. And it's a connection not in Houston, uh, but in Quebec. Uh, <laughs> so that part I can kind of understand. Yeah. They don't know which end is up. They don't know if they have a staff. They don't know if they have pilots. Well, exactly. I'm uh, a little paranoid about certain things. So I are you paranoid about flying? 
I'm no, I'm just paranoid about everything, and oh. I've got anxiety, and so I'm always checking to make sure things are going to go through the way they should go through. So I checked my reservation today, and I entered the information, and it said uh, your reservation's been canceled. <laughs> oh, contacted the airline. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. You canceled that yesterday. I didn't cancel anything. <laughs> and then a little bit more digging. Oh, yeah. We canceled it. We were going to reach out to you. <laughs> I'm so not okay. Like I'm more okay with my story. Your ticket was like $23 in a lollipop. <laughs> I got 5G on the street. Right. Five large on the street, as the kids say, with their rock and roll music. But I'm more angry about your story than mine. Because that's just crazy. What if I would have just shown up at the airport with my confirmation? I never got an email. Just would have shown up the day of the flight. Uh, oh, you canceled your flight two months ago. And that, there are some things that people are blaming on coronavirus. It's just, just no excuse for. There's no excuse for this stuff. It doesn't have to be this way. Get your crap in order, everybody. That's all we're asking. A public service announcement well, from Eat, Drink, Smoke. I can tell you this much. I'm never flying TWA again. <laughs> Braniff is dead to me. <laughs> The other part of coronavirus that's serious is what it's doing to the food industry. We keep talking about it. 80% of, of small restaurants might be out. It's horrific. Well, according uh, to, um, this is from MSN Money, five chains that may go out of, of business. And one of them is California Pizza Kitchen. There's a something that has nothing to do with coronavirus. That is a company that has been on the brink for as long as I've known about the company. Never mind. It's not that they do bad pizza. It's just that that's a, it's like barbecue. It's very hard to franchise barbecue. It's regional. It's specific. You, you talk to, to, to the people uh, down in Texas, right, uh, and, and ask them whether or not they think that barbecue is, is barbecue in North Carolina, Right. You ask them if, if, if at KFYO, where we are, are heard in Lubbock, if they think the barbecue is same as it is in Houston. They'll tell you all sorts of, uh, of things. We're going to get emails like you wouldn't oh, believe. Yeah. But it's true. It's very, that's a very difficult one to kind of uh, to, to push, push out there and kind of make uh, homogenized around the country. Pizza's the same way. People are very different and very specific on that. Now, the other one is called Matchbox which is a pizza and burger chain, which is uh, basically in uh, the, like the mid-Atlantic, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. They're also in Texas and Florida. Well, if there's nothing that really differentiates you, you still have overhead, you still have a food cost, you still have those rent rolls, especially in D.C. Yeah. Right? Again, it's a business based on everything being perfect all the time. Ruby Tuesday is shutting down 150 of its 470 locations. I don't know the last time I was at a Ruby Tuesday, but I can say this. The last time I was at a Ruby Tuesday, the salad bar was terrific and the burger was great. They, they specialize in burgers. They have really good burgers. I like going there, but you're right. We're very fortunate to be in Indianapolis where it is a foodie town. It really is. So I, a lot of times I don't go to a chain because we just have so many great restaurants that are not chains. But Ruby Tuesdays is, is one that I used to go to quite a bit because of the burgers and the salad bar. Yeah, one of the things Indy has going for it is, is, is geography. You can't afford to open in Chicago. You come down, you open in Indy because you can afford to do it. And it has turned, and it's really been the past decade, it has turned into a place where food is excellent and plentiful, not only on the restaurant side, but on the bakery side as well, which is something I personally uh, look for. Potbelly. 
They're closing 100 of their 470 stores. You don't know this about me? I used to work at Potbelly. Really? I was an original manager in D.C. I trained in Chicago, and I will absolutely stay silent on my thoughts on Potbelly Sandwich Works. <laughs> but admittedly, that was my experience, and uh, they invented this, this quick way of doing the sandwiches and toasting them and everything else, and great, great milkshakes. Great, great hand-dipped milkshakes. Uh, always did, but it's a sandwich. And in the end, there's only, you need a certain amount of traffic. You need a certain amount of go-to on that. If you don't have it, especially with coronavirus, you just, there's just no end. And there are so no many chain sandwich places to try to put yourself above everyone else. It's, it's really tough. And the fifth one on this list, which is the most surprising one, is Red Lobster. Mm. I've never been to a Red Lobster in my life. Well, I could tell you, Red Lobster has been struggling for years. Yeah? Um, yeah, I, I've read pieces previously where this is the year Red Lobster is going to go under. Uh, Cheddar Bay Biscuits, fantastic. Right. I, I was at the grocery store last night. You can buy Cheddar Bay Biscuit mix at the grocery store. That's all I've ever heard. I'm, I'm very happy. But, but I'm not is, happy that they're going to This very well goes. could be the end of Red Lobster uh, as, as well. Red Lobster, gone, but Olive Garden can remain. <laughs> it's an interesting, interesting world. Love them breadsticks. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Eat, Drink, Smoke. It is your drink, eat, cigar, radio extravaganza. We do the reviews, and then we see what happens. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy. We're reviewing the Russell's Reserve, which is 110 proof. $65 is the MSRP. It had notes of banana on the nose. It had some dark fruit, some good sweetness there uh, going down on the palate. We both moved it to a cube, and on the cube, it has opened up wonderfully. It was playing really heavy on that mid-chest and the lower chest. That has brightened up, best way I could describe it, very, very well. Uh, $65 in the MSRP. I'm sure you can find it in certain places for certain deals. If it... You got to see if this is your flavor profile. Those more uh, darker fruits, some of the some of that kind of sweetness, that honey in there, um, much better on the cube for me. Oh, I agree was, with then you. It wasn't neat. But I'm not going to say that this was too sweet. It was sweet, uh, but once you got it on the cube, it took a little bit of that sweetness away. So right. I, I think it's it's very good on the cube. Russell's Reserve, check it out for yourself. It is time for news of the week. Fingers, Molloy. Tony, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said on Wednesday that the U.S. government has not totally ruled out that a deadly explosion in Beirut, Lebanon was an attack, but said it was still gathering intelligence on the blast the Lebanese government has said was caused by unsafe storage of dangerous chemicals. All right, a couple things. Did you see the videos? It's unreal. So it looks like a Michael Bay film where all you hear, you see the fire. And people are videoing it because it's this big fire and smoke is everywhere. This is in Lebanon. and uh, Lebanon. There's a town here called Lebanon, and, and this is in Lebanon. I want to say it right. And um, you, you, can, you can hear the popping. You can hear what, what sounds like small explosions. The blast then comes, and it looks like Godzilla should just come right through. Yeah. It almost is a mushroom cloud. People are describing it as a mushroom cloud, but that's a very specific type of signature to a specific type of bomb. But the strength here was one-tenth of Hiroshima. One-tenth of the bomb that was dropped during World War II, one of the two, Fat Man and Little Boy. The, the white cloud that you see that envelops the whole space then turns into the sonic boom as it moves its way through 
and glass starts breaking everywhere, windows shattering all, people getting knocked to the ground. It's frightening. And then through the white smoke, you see this. It's almost like a hand of, of just darkness and of, of, of pure, pure black smoke. And then the fire starts erupting from underneath and no one knows how it happened. No one knows. People are speculating that it was an attack. People are speculating that it was a fireworks factory. I'm just saying it was not a fireworks factory. Well, you did see those little tiny explosions where maybe it looked like there were fireworks going off underneath. But this is another example. We talked about it on previous episodes where social media is out of control. Right. You don't have to offer a hot take on every incident. I mean, you, you saw b- the smart set blue checkmark crowd on Twitter <laughs> saying, that's an atomic bomb. That's an atomic bomb. No. Right. These are the people who are experts in hydroxychloroquine just last <laughs> week. I, I'm so old, I remember they were experts on Kim Jong-un's health. <laughs> There's never a thing to which they don't have an expertise on social media. Um, there is a theory that the Russians had actually stored ammonium nitrate there. And ammonium nitrate will blow up. So how it was stored, where it was stored, uh, I don't know, and I don't know if that's even it. The explosion is frightening. I think we're not even close to understanding what the death count is uh, yet. Just that it was an absolutely horrific thing uh, to witness. But no, I'm not buying into any of the talk. I don't think anybody knows what happened yet. Moving to Australia, Tony. No, I'm not. Well, now Vegemite I'm, is not for me. Now I'm definitely not. In the state of Victoria, officials provided further details about how Melbourne's new Stage 4 restrictions would be enforced regarding the coronavirus, including a new $5,000 on-the-spot fine for people found breaching isolation orders. How? Fi- $5,000? $5,000 Australian dollars. Uh, on Tuesday morning, Australian def- uh, Defense Force of officers and health officials had conducted more than 3,000 visits to households. Whoa, whoa. They're going to people's houses? They're going door to door. To see if you're in your house? Where a person should be uh, isolated. Of these 800 of the 3,000 visits, there were people under isolation orders who could not be found. Whoa, 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 is it a total isolation order or there are people being specifically ordered to isolate? It just says isolation orders and people violating them. It said for people who are found to have repeatedly breached these orders, a maximum penalty of $20,000 can be delivered through the courts. All of the 800 people that could not be located have been referred to police. This is insane. Now, I, I, I'm happy I live in America, but there are people in America who are crazy. The mayor of Los Angeles is Eric Garcetti. And Eric Garcetti... Now, this isn't about how you feel about coronavirus or masks or staying home or locking things down. That's not the conversation. $5,000 fines, police going door to door. Man, please don't tell me someone's okay with that. Garcetti, mayor of Los Angeles, doesn't want people gathering at houses. So if they think that the gathering is too much, he's going to have your water and your power cut off. (laughs) We should remember that Los Angeles is a desert and gets hot in summer. But he's going to cut off your power and your water. That's Orwellian crazy. Like, there's a moment where people have got to be saying, okay, you have too much power. 
No, no, no. That's not how that's not how the American system works. You don't get to do this. And I'm wondering if people I mean, it's it's L.A., right? What are the odds people are going to stand up and fight? But like, like, how do you now push back on that? Well, what worries me is there are too many people out there that would say right on. You need to do that. That's what's troubling oh, to me. God. The other thing that I find comical, okay, they'll, they'll cut off your water and your power. You're in Los Angeles, like you said. Uh, when the party's over, I'm sure they will return your power and, and, and water. Lickety split to where Lickety it was. Lickety split. <laughs> That's exactly the word I was going to use. Uh, what happens when they turn off uh, the power to the wrong house and, 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 and you've got twin two-year-olds just asking what happens in that situation? This is ugly, and I, I, I will, I'll tell you this. I have never felt more, and sad is, I don't know if it's the right word, but it's the only one that comes to mind, how we've decided to act and treat ourselves and treat other people. We took, we took a virus, right, that we should be able to, to beat and conquer. We said, how do we make this the most political thing in the history of planet Earth? And it really has shown in people just what they're all about. Some people really, really, really like power. Yeah. And they really like letting you know that they have it. You know, I'm always, always on the side of the citizen. There is never a moment where I don't think that the rights of the citizen come first and, 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 and foremost. I, I believe in the rule of law, but, like, the citizen is where it has to be uh, centered. I don't know how the people of Los Angeles think that Eric Garcetti can continue to be mayor. Just saying those words out loud. Say, I'm going to turn off your power and your water. Say, you know, this is the same kind of state that says that if you, when you buy a house, you have to sign up for power and water. You know, there are places that do that. Let's say you wanted to have your water only provided by Mother Nature and your power is only solar. Well, there are places that tell you you have to still sign up. You still have to be connected. And it's really, really weird. It's like weird. a maintenance fee, they call it. Right. right? What, they, they, have, you have, they have to maintain the power uh, infrastructure yeah. for the next person if you move out. It's like, crazy. But it's so odd. If, if, if I don't want it, if I choose not to have power in my house, why would, why would any city even remotely care? What, is, what does it matter to you? And it, like, it gets like this really like ugly kind of think of, well, why do they want you to have it? Why do you have to be signed up? Is that because they know where you are? Is that because you're on the grid? And they go, people go all conspiracy crazy. And I'm not a conspiracy guy in the slightest. Like, it's just not my interest. But it's weird, right? It's, it's, it's weird that, that they, would, they would do that stuff to you. But it's not as sick and twisted as what's going on in Australia. $5,000 in cops going door to door. That's sick. That is sick and diseased. And I hope it doesn't come here. Yet, yet we tell the story of Los Angeles. New York, you know what they're doing? Checkpoints. They're going to pull over every 7th or 8th car on, on, on the bridge coming into New York and make sure that you're not sick. It's sick. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Your meat is going up. Wait, that's no way to start a show. Eat, Drink, Smoke, Tony Katz, Fingers Malloy, Apple Podcast. if you miss any part of it. Eat, Drink, Smoke, write a review, leave a five-star review, subscribe. We'd appreciate it. Uh, beef prices are going up. But the processing plants are opening, which doesn't make any sense, right? I don't know how those two things. Can I share an impossible meat story with you? Okay. My wife is a sainted woman. My wife is fantastic and terrific. I have a happy marriage. I, I, I can't say enough good things. But. Oh, I did, here, here was the but. However, <laughs> in this case, 
Uh, oh, no. She found on sale. Oh, no. Impossible meat. Oh, Tony. Now, I would say, right, don't buy your meat on sale. It was a dollar. And she's like, now that should have been the warning. <laughs> when the impossible meat is on sale for a dollar, that should be the warning. She bought it and made some burgers out of it. Now, she had also purchased, uh, my, my youngest doesn't eat pork, right? It's not because we're Jewish, just not, not, in, not into pork. Uh, fa- uh, she found some, uh, some impossible meat maple sausages. Was it, was it made in a 3D printer? No, it wasn't. <laughs> we're not the Russians. Um, that was just a meh. I could see somebody doing that. She made the burger. And I took a bite, just, uh, just of the meat part, which was quite literally orange. It was Donald Trump orange. Is the be- How Crayola hasn't come out with that color yet. I Love him or hate him. That would be funny. You'd laugh out loud. If it was Donald Trump orange and the, and the very bottom of the cigar, the part, not where you're drawn, but the flat part, if it had like a tuft of blonde hair. That would be so fantastic. It would be the very best. <laughs> um, so I take a bite. I spit out everything. <laughs> I rinse my mouth out four times. It's just awful as awful can be. Now, I've never tried the ones at Burger King or those kinds of places. I haven't done the Impossible Burger there yet. But based on what I've had, everybody's lying and everybody's kidding themselves. So you were ha- it was like a, a crying, gang sh- crying game shower scene is what you're saying. You were just th- wow. almost throwing up. Uh, because of the impossible. That is an awful reference. Why would you do that to anybody? Who brings up the crying game on a cigar and bourbon show? I have my finger on the pulse of pop culture, Tony. <laughs> Don't say your finger when talking about the crying game. So, um, so now did you guys make up? Yeah, well, no, no. We're, we, we, for the kids, we're, we're staying married. Um, they, according to sources, this is from the Missouri Beef Council, 15 to 20% below where they were, but they think they can get the backlog back up. They were closed for a while for six weeks, actually days at a time for about six weeks because of coronavirus and people in the plant having coronavirus. Um, This is the wrong time for meat prices to go up. Wrong time people are going to be out of their heads. It's a question of does it go up 50 cents a pound or does it go up $2 a pound? Because 50 cents a pound, people can kind of, they might be able to suck it up. At $2 a pound, they're not buying it. They're looking for dollar a pound impossible meat. Well, at least we're not seeing a shortage, which we saw a, mm-hmm. a couple of months ago. I would go to Which lasted stores. for an hour and a half, though. For certain meats, there were a few weeks there where I could not find boneless, skinless chicken breast. I would go to store after store after store. I would go to Costco to try to find, you know, the five-pound package of ground beef, and there would be people right as the store opened immediately heading back to the meat section. They're all huddling around waiting for them to bring out packs, and I missed it. Can I tell you, the, the advent of rotisserie chicken has made me never buy chicken like that again. What's the point? If you can go, around here we have something called Meyer, and, you know, rotisserie chicken from, you know, Boston chicken Boston market Kenny Rogers roasters kind of yeah. kind of chicken and it's five bucks it's a whole chicken for five dollars first I'll never roast a chicken again why would you it's five bucks secondly it's five dollars and it's done I would rather spend that five bucks then carve it up 
and then have the breast, then have to ma- you know cook something with the breast themselves. Uh, yeah, no, I, I can't think of the last time I actually bought chicken breast. I, I wouldn't because of all the preservatives they put in it, Tony. It's bad for you. Hey, well, while we're at it, let's play What Did Fingers Do to His Body Today? Fingers Malloy, if you don't know, is the most horrific eater on planet Earth. If you, if you engage the diet, if you engage the fingers diet, you know some diets like the caveman diet or the, or, or, or the carnivore diet or, the, or a keto diet, you know, you feel better, you'd lose weight. On the fingers diet, you're dead in three days. So why don't you tell us, Fingers Moy, what you had for lunch and dinner today? Well, for breakfast, uh, this is a twofer for McDonald's. By the way, McDonald's will be an excellent sponsor of the Eat, Drink, Smoke radio show. Oh, agreed. Egg McMuffins all around. I had a sausage egg McMuffin on the way uh, on my early morning commute with a hash brown and uh, a caramel iced coffee. And oh. then I ended my commute on the way home with a triple cheeseburger from McDonald's. No onions, Tony, because it's that dehydrated, the ugh, those little minced right. onions, and they're, they're terrible. Onion pellets, you yes. call them. Yes, onion pellets that you would get. Uh, they're not as good as the pellet gun onions that you get at Costco for the hot dog. Uh, triple cheeseburger, small fry, and a large M&M McFlurry. So I, love the, I love that you had a small fry, you know, yeah, for balance. Right. Well, you got to have enough fries to dip it in the McFlurry, but stay away from those rotisserie chickens. They're bad for you, Tony. This is What Did Fingers <laughs> Put Into His Body? Brought to you by McDonald's. <laughs> I'm loving it. We're so going to get sued. This is, the, this is the show where we get sued, guys. Uh, I only hope. Uh, we'll keep an eye on where the meat prices uh, are, are going. Um, in New Zealand, a man cut through a fence to escape quarantine to buy beer and wine. That's that that is that is my William Cat. He is the greatest New Zealand hero. I was going to say uh, example number seven thousand four hundred thirty-two of uh, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, now I got to admit, New Zealand had very very draconian lockdowns. They knocked down the entire island. It's easier to do when you only have a few million people that you, that you uh, have, to, have to deal with. But this guy, Martin McVicker, came from Sydney. So they're locking people down who come for two weeks. He broke out of the managed isolation facility eight days later. Uh, he managed isolation facility. Well, we call that a FEMA camp in the United States. <laughs> it is out of a George Orwell novel. Orwell novel. Damn it. If, if I could have said that, that would have been a great joke. Um, he was off premises for about half an hour visiting a nearby a liquor store. Wow. And they forced the liquor store to close, forced them to clean the entire liquor store. And then they were allowed him to reopen. And he's been taken to prison. <laughs> Where he's now drinking prison wine. Right. <laughs> because the magistrate has, designed, has uh, denied him jail. Bail. That's Damn. I hope now, he got to keep his hooch. I honestly, I very much doubt that. Do you think as the cops were coming to arrest him, he just started slamming the booze right one <laughs> after another, thinking that kills the coronavirus? Oh my goodness! People will do anything, and we're seeing more and more states like work ways to do as we've talked about delivery of of beer and of wine and of liquor and changing, knowing that their laws are all antiquated garbage and changing it around because this is now what we want. There are some things that are going to become, this is what we want. And one of the things we want is beer delivered to us anytime, day or night. 
And just in case uh, you don't have enough to scare you with coronavirus or maybe the election or whatever, scientists have revived a 100 million year old microbe from deep under the seafloor. What could go wrong? We are dumb. We are dumb as a civilization. We really and truly are. Never mind that we're locking people down and whatever you feel about that. Then we're throwing them in prison for wanting to have a beer. We're, we're reviving. The, oh, my God. I was right about Godzilla. Right. Coming in 2022, the sea flu, which will sweep the world. This is terrible. You what? know, that's the thing that freaks people out more than anything. What's next? Yeah. What is next? That's the thing that, that people are like, okay, when does the other shoe drop? It is the Russell's Reserve, a Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Give it a try. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Eat, drink, smoke, or eat the fine food, drink the fine bourbon, smoke the fine cigars. Tony Katz and Fingers Malloy happened to be at Havana Cigar Lounge in Fishers, which had the, the luxury of opening up quite literally as everything got shut down for coronavirus, which certainly happened to cigar lounges. These guys have managed to come through it, though, with flying colors. And we're here because they're having this fantastic Drew Estate event. Now, you know Drew Estate cigars because you've smoked the number nine or the T-52 from Liga Pravada. You've smoked the Undercrown or the, or the Nico Rustica, the Herrera Esteli, some absolutely fantastic smokes. And you also know them because you probably went to go find where you can find the cigar. And these guys are so masterful at scarcity that you might not have been able uh, to get this cigar. Uh, but here at Havana, they were having this virtual event because, you know, you still have events. You do what you have to do. So they hooked up the Zoom call, and people are here in the, in the private lounge of this very, very cool lounge restaurant, Havana Cigar Lounge, uh, here in Fishers, Indiana. And Ben Pearson is the Midwest Territory Manager uh, for Drew Estate. And we uh, there, Ben, are smoking the year of the rat. Now, I'm a huge fan of the Ratzilla. I'm a huge fan of, of the Velvet Rat. There is, to me, no better constructed cigar in all of America then uh, than the feral flying pig i adore the flying pig in a way that is irrational man so so you agree that cigar is just a knockout. i agree man you know it's it's a very special cigar you know we take a lot of care in all of our production but especially when it comes to liga Pravada, there's only a handful of people that we actually allow to roll the feral flying pig that's why you don't see them very often combined with the actual tobaccos we use and the scarcity of those so yeah, man, these are just, they're, they're hard to get cigars, and it's not really because we want them to be, it's because of the tobacco. At the end of the day, if the tobacco's not ready, we're not going to sell it. So, you know, we take a lot of time and a lot of care to make sure these blends are perfect when they hit the shelf. Well, one of those cigars that's coming out now is the Year of the Rat, and when you see it, it's, it's in this gold wrapper, it's got this blue and white label at the bottom showing uh, 2020 uh, smoking it right now, this Connecticut broadleaf with the Brazilian binder, the Nicaraguan and Honduran uh, filler, everything with you guys is La Gran Fabrica down there in Nicaragua, and I adore things from Nicaragua. Tell me about this cigar, which comes in as a 5.5 by 46 in the Vitola, 5.5 referring to 5.5 inches long, and 46 is the ring gauge. That's how thick it is around. 64 would be a full inch around. Talk to me about this cigar, how it's different than the Ratzilla, and how you guys came to put this together. Absolutely. So the Dirty Rat was the first in the Unico series of Liga Pravada, which is the basically the limited releases of our limited release. It's a very special blend we do in the Liga series, and it started with the Dirty Rat. And there's been a few new iterations with the Ratzilla, the Velvet Rat, you know, using some different wrappers. 
And then with the with the year of the rap, it started off as a project we did with the BBT Center in Miami, which is their hockey stadium. We had a Drew Estate Lounge there. So when that cigar first came to be, you could only get it at their stadium if you bought a ticket, went to a game, and went to the lounge. Um, after that dissolved, we ended up using that cigar as um, Jonathan Drew, the founder of our company. It was his personal cigar for events he did around the country. So it still was not for sale. You could only get it from him at events. And then this year we decided it was it was the year to bring this out to the public, you know, as a for sale item. And we decided that, you know, the best way to utilize those right now is our virtual event program. You know, since we're still not traveling with all the restrictions, um, we're doing a lot of these virtual events around the country. And the stores we do virtual events with are the only stores that can get that cigar right now. Um, they get a very limited amount of them just because that's all we can do at the moment. But again, that our virtual event program is the only way to get that product. You know, um, that one utilizes the Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper opposed to the T52 Stock Habano that's on the original Dirty Rat. So to me, it's not quite as spicy. You get a little more rounded body to it. it it's just a brilliant cigar. Yeah, you get a touch of, uh, of chocolate uh, going, going on there. There is still a little bit uh, of that spice that goes on. Drew Estate it's is... It's a rat. It's got to be spicy. Right? <laughs> Drew Estate's one of those kind of interesting... Is one of those interesting things where when it came on the scene... It went from, oh, look, Drew Estate to, oh, my gosh, where can I get one? And I can remember people telling me uh, stories about the, what the ICPCR, right? Some of the conventions and, and events where, you, you, best of luck if you were going to be able to find one, never mind uh, carry one. What right. makes a brand hit? Like, what do, as you see it, uh, you know, you, you come from the retail side of things as well, Ben. What makes something yeah, it, connect with a, a, a smoker? It's. It's a really difficult question. Uh, you know, it's something my marketing department's constantly trying to figure out. You know, it's, I think it's a combination of, you know, listen, if you put a cigar on the market these days, it has to be a great cigar. There's no room for mediocre products anymore. So first off, you have to come to the table with the blend. You have to come with something ready to go and something that, you know, our customer base really wants to enjoy. So it's got to be a dynamic flavor profile utilizing different tobaccos. You know, and then as far as our marketing on our cigars, it's all done very organically. Our cigars always have stories behind them and, you know, how they're created and where they came from. And I find a lot of that is it, it's, again, it's a very organic process for us that I find our fan base really gravitate towards because they know we're, we're true to Drew Estate. We're very, you know, true to who we are, true to how we do things. We're not afraid to push the boundaries of what you can do with tobacco and knowing that might not be for every consumer. You know, Drew Estate does such a variety of products from our number one selling brand, which is Acid, a very non-traditional cigar, you know, to our Deadwood series, to Kentucky Fire Cured. We always want to keep pushing what you can do with tobacco to give the consumer a different experience and hope that he enjoys it. And, you know, luckily that seems to be people really are gravitating towards what we're putting out there. And I think it also is, you know, we are very approachable as a company. We're constantly out there with our consumers when we can be. We do a lot of events. We do these giant experiential events with our barn smoker program, bringing people to Nicaragua. You know, connecting with our consumer base is very, very important for Drew State. Hi, Ben. Fingers Malloy here. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what it takes to create a new blend and how you get it from the lab to the consumer? The lab. That's you know, the, I, I love it. Better word. Yeah, yeah. But creating a blend is it, it, it's a, it, it can take years and years of figuring out how to do it because you know what our master blender is Willie Herrera, who's con you know every time he's down in Nicaragua he's working on a new blend. You know, and then the next time he comes down he smokes what he blended the previous trip to see where it is. You know, and then makes a tweak and tries it six months later. So 
you know, when you're blending a cigar, it, this is not a, you know, it, it's a time consuming process of, you know, and in an uncountable number of blends sometimes when you're trying to get something right to find that component you're looking for. Um, you know, I'm not a master blender. I've blended a few cigars in my time, obviously hanging out at the factory, but you know what those guys do and what they, they look at these leaves and they know exactly what they taste like and they know what they're going to taste like together. They know what they're going to taste like together after six months of sitting. You know, these guys are masters of tobacco and it takes so much time and experience to get to that level. And I'm so happy we get to work with a guy like Willie Herrera. Uh, now, uh, Ben, I have I have more questions. This is Ben Pearson. He yeah. is the Midwest Territory Manager for Drew Estate. Uh, I do have some, some more questions for you, uh, but really quick. You're new to cigars. What's the Drew Estate cigar you're smoking? You got, you got 30 seconds. If you smoke cigars, um, what's the Drew Estate cigar you should be smoking? If you already smoke cigars and you're in that milder format, I definitely want to push you toward their Undercrown Shade. It's my favorite mild cigar on the market. It's a ton of flavor, but it's not going to hit you too heavy with strength. But if you're completely new to tobacco, I definitely recommend starting with something, you know, in our acid line, like our Cuba Cuba or Blondie, or even our Tobacco Special, our coffee and cheese line. They're very approachable, sweet, aromatic cigars. Ben, we are smoking the Year of the Rat, which you can find at only certain retailers, uh, I'm adoring it. I, I, I think that you have a, a winner here. That's Ben Pearson of Drew Estate. More to get to. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. So when we're dealing with cigars and we're talking about cigars, there is this awful, gross misnomer that everybody knows what they're doing except you. There, there's, there's that when, when you walk into a cigar lounge for a lot of people, it's the first time there's this overwhelming experience. And part of, of what this show is all about is taking away that overwhelming feeling. This is eat, drink, smoke, Tony Katz, fingers, Malloy, the podcast at Apple podcast, eat, drink, smoke, write a review, leave a five-star review. Ben Pearson joins us right now. He is the Midwest territory manager for Drew Estate. We're talking Liga Pravada. We're talking about uh, the fat bottom Betty. We're talking, there, there's an unlimited number of cigars that, that these guys do. And we've been smoking the year of the rat because it's, it's, it's new. It's, it's, it's the newest release and the Connecticut Broadleaf. And you were actually doing a Facebook Live, and I got a chance to get on it. And I was asking, you know, you take a look at this cigar, and this cigar is deep and rich and has that Oscuro wrapper. So that's like one of the things where people are like, I don't know what you mean. This very dark, brown, chocolatey wrapper. This has got a little bit of oiliness to it that I absolutely uh, adore and I want to get into how it's Connecticut Broadleaf when people think Connecticut as, as a lighter shade of wrapper. I want to get to that. It was the question I asked. But when, when people are new in it, to this and they're walking into places where, of course, uh, Drew Estate is, is sold or, or, or really any cigar, what's your advice as a guy who's been a retailer? What's your advice to that person who walks in and has no idea what they're doing? What's the question for the tobacconist? You know, listen, we all start there. I mean, I remember the first time I walked into a cigar shop, and the first thing I say is don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, you, you have to start somewhere with this hobby. You have to start, you know, talking to people. And, you know, going into a shop, you know, I, you don't know what you're looking for, obviously. So talk to the people there. If you're at a good tobacco shop, they're going to steer you in the right direction. You know, these guys, this is what they do. So if it's a good shop, the first thing I say is talk to the people that work the shop. Talk to who's working that humidor. You know, tell them what you like for food. Are you a spicy guy? Do you like, you know, what, what are your palate? You know, what do you tend to reach for? I, I'd say the first thing is never be afraid to ask questions because 
this is one of those industries and these, these worlds that you're constantly going to be learning. You know, I've been doing this for a long time and I learn new things about cigars every year. You know, this is one of those hobbies that there's, there's so much to know about this. There's so much variance in tobacco that just, you know, talk to the guys that are sitting there in the shop, smoke with them, grab something and have a conversation. I've always said that the cigar shop is the ultimate equalizer. It doesn't matter what you do. When you get in that door, you are a cigar smoker. And Man, you we say that all the time. There is no more level playing field than the cigar lounge. Your politics go out the window. Your socioeconomics go out the window. The guy sitting next to you is a guy having a cigar, and you just get into conversations. I've had more conversations. I've said this many times. I've had more conversations about parenting in a cigar lounge than I have ever had anywhere else. You're totally right about being uh, an, an equalizer. But I want to get back to this Year of the Rat, which is called the Liga Pravada Unico Siri Year of the Rat 2020. It got unveiled at, at the trade show in uh, late January of 2020 before really the end of civilization came. Uh, but I want to get into this Connecticut because this is a Connecticut broadleaf as opposed to a Connecticut shade. And I thought you gave a really good definition and explanation of the difference of the two because people hear Connecticut and they might immediately go to a place as opposed to hearing the whole thing. Give me the difference between the right. two. Right. So they're actually, they're two different um, seed varieties of tobacco. Um, so Connecticut shade is what you see on, you know, our undercrown shade, for instance, the Connecticut shade seed. We actually grow ours in Ecuador or it's grown for us in Ecuador. But true Connecticut seed is very light. It's very creamy. It's got kind of a grassier note to it sometimes. When you're talking about Connecticut broadleaf, you're talking about a much heavier leaf, a much darker leaf once it's processed, and a much bolder flavor profile. You know, as you said, it's, it's almost a scuro. It's, it's a very dark, heavy, chocolatey leaf, tons of oil in it. And you mentioned this. So with broadleaf, we actually do a stalk cutting process. It's actually um, it's, uh, cultivated differently. So with our broadleaf and our T52 Habano, instead of picking all the leaves off the stalk, they actually cut the entire plant down by the stalk, and the whole thing is hung in the curing barns to dry. That way, that stalk continues to feed nutrients and oils to those leaves. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's not as easy of a process. It, it, there's a lot of technical things to it. But again, it, it's really what makes our broadleaf special is the time we take to do it um, from curing to fermentation to aging. And again, you're, you're smoking the final product there, and you see what we came up with. Ben, you talked earlier about acid cigars. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the infusion process, and what are some of the flavor profiles people can expect from some of the acid cigars? So acids, acids are a very unique cigar. It is now the number one cigar selling in the United States. Um, acids are an infused product really? with 140 different... Yes, it is. Uh, wow. Cuba Cuba Blondies. Acid has taken over. Um, you know, as far as the process, I have no idea. I've been to our factory 19 times and nobody will show me how we do it. <laughs> probably one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest secrets in the cigar industry is how we do acids. Um, and as far as the flavor profiles go, you know, we have different colors in the family. The, the blue line is our most popular. We have a gold line, a red line, a purple line, and all those have a unique infusion process to those colors. Um, as far as describing the flavor, it's one of those things you just have to smoke it and you tell me what you taste because it's almost undefinable. You know, an acid to me, it's, it's acid. That's what it tastes like. It's, it's unlike anything else out there. But I will tell you, they're very sweet. They're very aromatic. And it's a very unique cigar that you're either going to love or you're going to hate. Ben Pearson joins us. He's the Midwest Territory Manager of four of the people at Drew Estate. Now, I, when I pair a cigar, I find myself more and more drawn 
to pairing with coffee. If it grows together, it goes together. It's a combination I love, and I know you drink tea and not coffee, which, as far as I'm concerned, makes you a terrorist. I mean, that's just... I'm okay with that. that yeah, <laughs> no, I, I've been dealing with that my whole life. It's, I, you know, I, it's funny, because I sold coffee for like 10 years. I worked in different cafes over the years. I sold coffee forever, never developed a taste for it. I tried. So, but when you, we talk about pairing, people usually talk about pairing with bourbon or pairing with scotch. As you see it, when you're smoking the year of the rat, or maybe just in general, uh, what's your advice on pairing? You've worked in the places where, you know, you're providing those things uh, to, to, to people, and everyone's always curious about how they do it. So give me, uh, give me what you think in, in, in 60 seconds or less is the right idea yeah, to consider I mean, pairing. Right. I always like to pair a cigar with something very that's going to balance it out nicely. So if the cigar has a little bit sweeter component, I might try something with a little more boldness to it. Something like a Liga Pravada, I love to pair with some rum because I like what the sweetness in the rum pulls out of the tobacco. So I always like to have something that, you know, goes well with that particular style of tobacco I'm smoking. And, you know, sometimes it's a glass of water, sometimes it's rum, sometimes it's wine. It really varies mood to mood like anything else for me personally. Yeah, the, the, the water thing, people absolutely forget that sometimes that's all you need. All you need is, I, is a little bit of water. No matter what I'm pairing with my cigar, I always have a glass of water next to me. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, ben, listen, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, ben Pearson, Territory Manager Midwest for uh, Drew Estate. Uh, you, you have a winner in, in this, this is the, this is the kind of uh, of strength. This is the kind of blend I'm looking for. If you're a first time smoker, I don't think this is your cigar. But if you're somebody who appreciates and likes to move into those fuller kind of conversations, uh, uh, the Year of the Rat, the Liga Pravada Unico Series Year of the Rat 2020 is a great way to go. Ben, I appreciate you taking the time. This is Eat Drink Smoke. Eat, drink, smoke. It is your cigar, drink, foodie review extravaganza. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy. The podcast is at Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, write a review, leave a five-star review. It's on Stitcher. It's on Google Play. Eat, drink, smoke. It is wherever fine books are sold, even though it's not a book. Check it out for yourself. The Year of the Rat is a solid smoke, kids. The Year of the Rat, I, I like what Drew Estate does. Now, I, I would never tell this to, to Ben, who we were just talking to. Uh, but the whole idea of scarcity, you know, when he talks about, well, you know, you, you can't do it until it's right. That's what every cigar manufacturer is going to tell you. <laughs> we all know they're playing a little bit of the game of keeping things out of the hands of people. And it has worked for them. And it only works because they actually put out good product. They put out good cigars. Cigars uh, that you want to have. You know, in, in, in their whole world, I think everything is just a dollar overpriced. I've always felt that way, but I always pay the dollar. For me, it's absolutely positively worth it. The Year of the Rat, check it out for yourself. It's time for News of the Week, Fingers Malloy. And we're going to start off with some really sad news, Tony. Horrific. According to our friends over at Cigar Aficionado, 90 years after it it opened its doors for the first time, Nat Sherman is closing down. This is so incredibly crazy and amazing and has nothing 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 to do with coronavirus uh, this this is just the business decision from from altria you know uh, it's it's just the, the major major company bought the nat sherman brand 
In 2017, right? Yes. In 2017, they say that uh, they will cease operations by the end of September, shutting down not only its Midtown Manhattan cigar store, but also its entire wholesale business. Yes. So, so here's how it goes. When they bought Nat Sherman, the thing that they wanted was the cigarettes. The cigarettes to them, it's, 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 it's a high-end product. Very much mattered. The cigar was never a big seller, right? That's where a guy by the name of Michael Herklotz comes in. Because for the past nine years, he's been the, the, the guy behind that brand, pushing that brand, getting people to like that brand again, and bringing them out of really like the, the Nat Sherman metropolitan world and bringing really the, the timeless series into it, its being. And the timeless is a fine cigar. And they had the 75th anniversary and the 85th anniversary cigars, which I actually had some burn problems with. Uh, a lot of times, just the, the, the burn, the draw was just all over the place. But with, with the Timeless, never really had an issue. But the sales were never really giant. Uh, and so that's why they're saying, okay, we don't need the cigar side anymore. But if you've never been to the townhouse, I'm sorry if you won't get the chance. Right there on 42nd and I was fifth, I think it is. It's so cool. It's so terrific. The, the, that staff was, was really, in, in my view, excellent and, and not pushy at all. And in any way, I enjoyed smoking there. I enjoyed being able to go there uh, on my trips. I'm sorry to see it happen. Well, and I, when I heard this, I wouldn't have thought it made sense until the conversation we had a few weeks ago with Rocky Patel. And he, he mentioned in our conversation with him that for all tobacco sales, less than 1% of tobacco sales are from fine cigars. Right. So when you hear that, and I never would have, I would have thought it would be much, much more than that. So when you hear that statistic, you're like, okay, I guess if they were in it just for cigarettes and fine cigars, just to, they don't make up a lot of sales and revenue, well, okay, I guess that's going to be first on the chopping block. Now, one of the questions that was asked is, well, so could someone else just take over the brand? So it's a question of how you want to do it because Nat Sherman Cigars never actually had their own factory. So it's not like, you know, with, with uh, Drew Estate, uh, La Grand Fabrica, right? Or Rocky has his factory uh, down there. They never had the factory. So you're buying a name and now you still got to find somebody, go find somebody to make those cigars for you. And there's just, there doesn't seem to be a value in that. So could someone buy the brand for the cigars? I guess they could, but it's, it's like it's possible, but it's not probable. I just don't think the brand is coming back. Here's what's more interesting. Uh, as you're hearing this this weekend, that's it. They're done. So uh, the guys over at Blend Bar Cigar, where we often uh, re- record, right, uh, blendbarcigar.com, uh, they're out. They aren't even making another order. They're not even going to try and fight it. Wow. They are completely sold out. So if you're listening... Drive over to your local tobacconist and see if they have any Nat Sherman's left. Because whatever you have in your humidor, that's going to be the end of the ball game. Now, maybe there's a distributor out there who's got a couple cases here and a couple cases there. I there, there's a, a local cigar shop in Indianapolis uh, by the name of Cigar Haven, and it's run by a woman, Barbara. I don't know how old Barbara is. She is lovely. She she walks very very gingerly. She's got a great place, and she's, she's a font of information. And every now and then you can be talking to her about a cigar, and she'll be like, 
well, wait a minute. I think I have. And she'll go into like the second back room and get herself on a ladder. And you know, you know, if she falls, you're, you're never going to forgive yourself. And she'll find a box like she's one of those. So there are those that exist and maybe you'll find it that way. But it's over. And I'm just sorry to hear it because I liked what they did. I liked who they were. And I actually had a personal connection with that brand. And I can't say that about too many. Really, really liked it. I'm sorry to see them go uh, this way, but but that's the business, kids. Well, and especially to have that location in Manhattan and to see that close. I hope somebody... I mean, a sin. I, a sin. The townhouse was so great. And listen, there are a couple of places that you can get cigars in, in Manhattan. You know, the Club Macanudo is there. It's, I think it's up 2nd Avenue. Uh, never enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed the townhouse. Just a wonderful, wonderful, great vibe. Well, and great you feeling. gave me some cigars from Manhattan. I believe it was Martinez cigars. Why do you say Manhattan? Why not Manhattan? Cause Manhattan. Because I, I drink Manhattans. That's why. Uh, Martinez. So that's on, that's on the west side, like 29th and... Tenth, so the very, very bottom of Hell's Kitchen mm-hmm. is is where you would find that, and it's they roll right there in the store. So the cool. store is 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 about as big as your closet, and <laughs> and that's it, and that's where they roll. Very, very cool spot. Uh, Flatiron, I think, is the brand of, of cigars uh, that that they do, or at least it's on the, on the label. I've enjoyed them. I've enjoyed them so that you you can find the local little spots and find them near you and everything else. I'm just sorry to see them go. Well, we've talked for weeks about how uh, liquor sales have gone up, it's gone down, depending on who you talk to. The parent company uh, who owns Johnny Walker, uh, Diageo, I believe. Is, I think you're pronouncing that well. Uh, Diageo saw operating profit decline of 47% in its 2020 fiscal year uh, to, uh, due to the coronavirus and its key markets, in its key markets. So are, is this a question of people are buying, but what they're buying? And they're not buying the high-end stuff. They were buying much more budget-conscious, price-conscious kinds of things. And, and maybe, uh, uh, maybe not where uh, they played. I mean, uh, they were down by 47.1% to $2.1 billion, which is $2.7 billion U.S., I should say. And organic net sales down 8.4%. Right? If, if you're talking about them carrying, for example, Johnny... Uh, Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker Black, Johnny Walker Blue. More people might be saying, "Okay, I'm in my liquor store, but what's on sale in my liquor store?" Right, and that's and that's the way they went. That's the way they decided uh, to put it together. So there's some of this uh, that um, can be seen. I mean, there were some other things, some business things, some charges they made, and uh, um, they've they've already got some extra credit that they put in. They're not going anywhere. Don't get me wrong. They're going to survive and survive uh, survive well. But it's so interesting that when you see these businesses, uh, large scale, we all saw that liquor sales exploded. The question is, what liquor sales exploded? That's their, their different things, right? And you got to take that all into consideration, that people were not buying 80 and $90 bottles. They weren't buying the congratulatory bottle. They weren't buying the, hey, you got a promotion bottle. They were buying the, dear God, when is this over bottle? Right. We saw that with domestic beer sales in the United States, where people were gravitating back to the Budweiser's and, and the, the Bush and the Natural Light. Their sales were going up, and some of the craft beer uh, sales were going down, looking more, more bang for your buck as opposed to maybe a higher quality brand? 
It's it's. I think that's the way it is. I think it was about the money budget purchase, without question. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. It's as if we're trying to scare the living hell out of people. It's as if somehow people like getting scared, or they like being angry. I don't know. I don't know what is wrong with with people in this regard. And it's not us, right? It's not all of us. It is people who somehow have figured out a way to profit. Off of being angry. Tea, drink, smoke, everybody. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy. I start with a story about a show called The Umbrella Academy, which I really like. It's on Netflix, right? Like it a lot. I also, I don't know if you saw on HBO The Watchmen. No. Holy crap. Got 26 Emmy nominations. That show is fantastic. And I'm going on record that Regina King is the best actress of her generation. Regina King is freaking sensational. Absolutely incredible. So it's based on the comic, The Watchmen, which is the only comic book I ever really read uh, before. And it's part dystopian and part kind of fascinating and really interesting kind of uh, grouping of stories. And the, the story they did on HBO all centers around the Tulsa race massacre of, I think, 1930-something or other. I forget the year. I think it was 1933. And what's fascinating about the Tulsa Race Massacre, regardless of where you are, you know, uh, what you think about what's going on in today's conversations about, about race. I'm a pretty educated cat. I pay attention a lot. No one in my high school or college years ever taught about the Tulsa Race Massacre. I couldn't believe it. I, I, am, I am this year's old. I am zero years <laughs> old. When I learned the Tulsa Race Massacre, and I got to tell you, I wasn't sad about it. I wasn't embarrassed about it. I was angry about it. How could I not know that story? And that's not a story about making yourself feel bad. It's just understanding history. When someone brings something up, you have an idea of what they're talking about. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I, we never covered that in high school. I've got a bachelor's degree. I'm halfway to a master's degree. I've, I've never heard of this until you just brought it up. Just never, now. ever heard the story. And so when people talk about we got to work on education, there's nothing wrong with, this, with, with knowing this story. It's an extreme because Tulsa was known as Black Wall Street. Uh, in, in the day, very, very uh, successful. And then it was one day of riots and killings and destroyed Tulsa. Destroyed these people's lives. And it was, and it was all based on hate. Absolutely positively. And it's why when we, you know, when we have these conversations, uh, everyone wants everything to be racial. Everything wants everything to be hateful. Or, or you're insulting this one or you're attacking that one. No, that's not true. But there are some stories and there are parts of history that are worth knowing that did happen. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It means it happened and you got you to gotta know your history. It's extremely important. This brings us to Umbrella Academy on Netflix. And there's a character on Umbrella Academy played by Kate Walsh. And she's known as the handler. And I guess she's kind of the bad guy on the show. Well, all of a sudden it comes out that Umbrella Academy is anti-Semitic. Why is it anti-Semitic? It's anti-Semitic because this character, the handler, played by Kate Walsh, at times uses Yiddish. Yiddish is this kind of mixed language from, from, from the shtetl days. So like the days uh, of, of, of the 20s and the 30s, as people were escaping and everything else from Germany and Poland. And it's this mix of Polish and German. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a Jewish language. My, my grandmother came over from Poland knowing, uh, being fluent in Yiddish, and so did my grandfather. My mother can understand fluent Yiddish. Uh, I know a couple of good curse words. All right? <laughs> That's basically the way it goes. 
I'm telling you, if you think the show is anti-Semitic because she's the bad guy and she speaks some Yiddish and refers to a cabal, you're out of your skull. So that's what it's all about. Right. It's because she's considered the bad guy on the show and she's using Yiddish. Right. Okay. It's crazy. It's, uh, we find ways to, to like, like hate ourselves. We find ways to try and ruin everything. Now, there was within Watchmen a lot of social justice messaging that I'm, you know, people are going to like or don't like or be like, okay, move that along. It was, it was the basis of the story that I found so fascinating. Man, if you think Umbrella Academy is anti-Semitic, there is more anti-Semitism in a Deshaun Jackson Instagram post. Right from the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles than there is in the Umbrella but Academy. But that's that's the times we're living in right now. I mean, there was going to be a, a movie festival, I believe, in Portland, and they they canceled Kindergarten <gasps> Cop. They canceled Kindergarten Cop because it glamorized cops in schools, and they compared it to Birth of a Nation. And I was like, okay, we're done. Oh. and this is why people drink. <laughs> this is why people drink and smoke. Can I tell you, I, I have had a, a billion conversations in, in the cigar lounge. No one has ever called me a bigot in a cigar lounge. Ever. But social media, all I have to do is say hello. And people are like, what do you mean by that? Well, it's funny you say that because I was in a cigar lounge the other day, and this guy went on a two-minute rant about kindergarten cop. <laughs> <laughs> We're living in crazy times. Uh, so I bring this all up. Because there was a story that, you know, with, with coronavirus and the lockdowns and the quarantines and kids aren't able to play with other kids. And listen, I think, I think your kids are going to be able to overcome it. But there's some kids who miss their friends and they don't quite understand at all. And supposedly there's an increase in kids going to therapy and things like that. And I don't know whether I think that's crazed or whether I think that's good parenting or whether three conversations would make everything better. Or maybe you let your kids play with other kids, right? Right. Everyone's got to decide for themselves. But the story was the kids are told, you know, go outside and get some fresh air. Well, they find nature distressing because it can trigger feels of feelings of anxiety and despair linked to climate change. No matter what you think of the environment, if your kid is afraid to go outside or upset by going outside because they think the planet is dying that's evil. Yeah. Man, that's evil. How could you do that to your kid? They're pounded with this messaging all the time. That, right? I read that story, and it reminded me a couple of years ago. Uh, my daughter was in elementary school at the time, and they canceled giving out Valentine's on Valentine's Day. They weren't going to take an hour to do that because they said, no, listen, later on, we're, we're taking that hour because we're going to have an Earth Day party. <laughs> And my head exploded. <laughs> um, you, uh, scaring your kids. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have talked to my kids every step of the way about coronavirus. Every step of the way when we made sure we had all the things that we needed, why people were, spent, were buying so many things at the store, why the stores were empty, what the problem with that is, how you have to handle things, the importance of being prepared. I don't think you have to have two years of, of food in a bunker, but you should be prepared. And why you should be prepared is because things happen sometimes out of your control. I, I don't want them to be afraid of it. I want them to understand what happened and where I think, and, and my wife and I think some people are making a mistake. Are people not 
Are they not talking to their kids about these things? I because I I've never fan. taught them. Hey, the world's dying. Be afraid. No, I've never said I that. I think I, you know, in, in my I've household, against that. I, I think in my household, and I, I think we have been pretty clear on this show that you need to take this virus seriously, and you need to take care of yourself and, and try to stay safe. But going back to the conversation about schools, my kids. Uh, it was the first day of school today. And I've looked at previous years. I always take pictures of my kids on the first day of school and their you know, school outfits and everything. And this year, it's pictures of my kids in front of an iPad and a computer at their home desk. Right. And I think to myself, okay, just from my experience from last year, these kids aren't learning what they do. The fight be. of reopening schools is, I mean, that's using kids as pawns. It, it really is. And. It's happening from every every side. You know what? We sh- we got to get into that another time. But I let me end on a happier note because we've got the interview coming next week. Ace Prime has announced that that with uh, the some of, some of the good people at Crowned Heads, Luciano the Dreamer cigar is coming out very very soon, and we had a chance to sit down with Luciano Morales uh, and talk about this cigar. Uh, we're going to share that next week. Fantastic conversation. Absolutely brilliant Lancero. What a smoke this cigar is. Lancero is the shape. It's that longer, thinner cigar. Incredible. Oh, it was, it was unreal. We had smoked seven cigars that day. Yeah. and we were, That was the last one, and we were leaving. I still had three quarters of mine left, and I never do this. I smoked it the rest of the way in my car on the way home because I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't throw that stick away. So that interview is coming next week from Ace Prime, the Luciano, the Dreamer, and we've got Luciano Morales. We're going to get into that. and Things you never understood about the science of cigars. Eat, drink, smoke.